Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Well, hey everyone, welcome along to this bonus episode to celebrate getting to 20,000 listens. I just thought it would be a great chance to talk a little bit about social enterprise. And last week I was in Auckland and recorded a whole session, which went for about an hour and a half. So I pulled together the best bits from that, and it was really focusing on social enterprise in New Zealand. I released about a three-minute extract of that last week. So this is the full session. And a particular shout-out to Craig Fisher and the team at RSM for inviting me to come along and do that presentation. You can't really tell from the audio, but there was about 50 or 60 people in the room listening to what I had to say. So we're just going to dive straight into that session. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to RSM. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Craig Fisher, Chairman of RSM in New Zealand, and it's my privilege and pleasure to welcome you here today. Uh, we have uh, an interesting session today. Um, Celia just walked in and said, it's such an interesting topic, this social enterprise. Mm-hmm. I think she's absolutely right. Um, and I'm delighted that we have got um, Stephen Moe uh, dragged up from the South Island, from the sunny Christchurch, um, to join us today and to share his expertise as one of the leading lawyers in the space in New Zealand, uh, so seeing a lot of what's happening in the social enterprise space. Um, however, that's not to say that Stephen knows everything and um, would very much like to have a discussion because this is such an involving, uh, emerging area uh, that we do need to um, share the good, the bad and the ugly that's out there. Uh, and also at the end of the session, um, please join us uh, afterwards for uh, a drink and some nibbles if you'd like to, and to mix and mingle with the people that are here. Um, so yeah, carry on with the conversations. Um, but other than that, over to Stephen, Fred, from yours. Thank you, Craig. Hi. Well, it's lovely to be here today. Thank you very much for coming out. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the road less traveled by. Who knows who said that? Robert Frost. It's a very famous line from a poem. It's talking about options, and it's talking about different ways of approaching life. Um, That's what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to be talking about social enterprise. I always have to start by saying be careful about assumptions because as soon as I started talking, you heard an accent and you made assumptions about me. Um, So I just want to correct the assumptions. (laughs) My father um, is a marine biologist and we moved to New Zealand in the 1980s and he began working um, to raise salmon here. So I actually grew up in Christchurch, went to university there, worked for a law firm in Wellington for several years and then have um, been traveling the world until two years ago. I spent three years in London, I spent um, four years in Tokyo, and I spent four years in Sydney. So all that is just to say, don't just assume from an accent that you know exactly where a person is from. But now I'm based in Christchurch. I'm really pleased to have returned back to New Zealand two and a half years ago. I've got four young children. 3, 6, 9, and 11, and they came home one day in Sydney, and you know what song they were singing? It was the Australian National Anthem, and we thought, my wife and I looked at each other and thought, well, this is, it's great they're forming an identity, but is this the identity that we want? And we thought, actually, we want to be back in the country that we both love, so we came back to New Zealand, and since coming back, um, have been getting really involved in this social enterprise space and looking at what it means to have a new way of doing business. Um, Or is it new? This will be some of the things that we talk about. Um, But I'm really keen as well for for hearing from you. I don't want this just to be me talking. So you are allowed to ask questions and to contribute. Um, And yeah, we'll just see how we go. Um, If anybody's interested, this is the, the handbook that I put out last year. And that's really kick-started my involvement in the social enterprise sector. And I've now emailed that out to literally hundreds of people because there seems to be a real interest in New Zealand about what social enterprise is and what it could be. 
And I'm really conscious in a room like this that some of you will already be running social enterprises. Some of you will not know anything about social enterprises but are curious. And some of you will be cynical about social enterprises, which is great. So it's, it, there's a real variety in the room is the point that I'm making. So some of you, will, this will be already known, but for others of you, it may be new. Um, and the, the topics I'd like to cover and then have some discussions and, and debate is the first one, just what is a social enterprise? The second, what is happening in New Zealand? And number three, structure options, the shape of the future, what's coming? Um, and again, I welcome your, your thoughts as we go through. So the first one, what is a social enterprise? So the way that I've gotten used to explaining this is I'm here on this side of the room and I'm a traditional business. And primarily, I'm here to make profit for my shareholders. That's mainly what I'm about. Um, so this is something that you probably understand. If you said, I'm starting a business, most of us in the room would understand, okay, that's about profit. That's about um, returning dividends to shareholders, right? Um, and the mind of business, that's the rational side of, of making a business work, you know, dealing with the numbers, getting the balance sheet right, making it all fit together. So I like to think of this side of the room, we're talking about a traditional company, which is a business, and its focus is mainly on profit. And then if I walk over to this side of the room, all of a sudden I'm completely different. <laughs> this side of the room, I'm a charity, and I'm primarily focused on purpose. Purpose is my driver. How can I achieve purpose in what I'm doing? And again, there's a certain assumptions that you've already made about me as a charity. Um, and those assumptions <laughs> include the fact that I'm probably acting from my heart rather than my mind. So that side of the room, if somebody says they're starting a business, you make assumptions, okay, there's, there's um, the rigor of the mind is here. We're, we're, we've got business plans, we're running it. Over on this side of the room, you're probably making assumptions that it's a heart-driven, meeting social need. There's some, something I've identified in society that needs to be fixed, and um, we're gonna do it via the charity um, option. So just bear that in mind, I'm completely different on each side of the room. And what we're talking about today is social enterprise, which um, what is proposed is that that actually sits in the middle. So it's integrating the heart of charity and over here, remember the mind of business. And rather than saying you kind of have one or the other, that's the assumption that's often made with social enterprises saying, actually, let's integrate them both so that you are seeking after profits, you're running a business that's sustainable, but you also are meeting a need, a social need of some kind over here. And that's the heart side of it. So it's really trying to integrate the mind and the heart into one. Um, and so that's kind of a, that's, I found that's the simplest way to explain social enterprise. It's, it's really trying to meet, I won't stand here in the middle because my face will be all twatchy, but you know, it's trying to meet in the middle between the traditional charity and the traditional business. Um, so that's, uh, I find helpful. <coughs> and I think as well, it's, you know, just throwing in the thinking about the future, there's actually uh, paradigm shifts that are happening in our culture and in particularly our young people coming up who are saying, why is it that we've, you have to choose one or the other? Can't we have a way that we integrate both? And I'm looking at these three guys right here in the front because I know that they've been going through that the last few months. Um, so, we'll just go to the next slide. Um, so that's sort of the, the broad sort of what is social enterprise. Um, the other thing I should say, actually before we go to that slide, the other thing I should say is there's no legal definition of social enterprise in New Zealand. So I work as a lawyer, so I'm constantly getting asked, well, am I or am I not a social enterprise? And there is no legal definition right now. Um, sometimes in seminars I propose that there should be, and people look at me like, oh, this is so different, how radical is this? 
but actually it's not that radical. <laughs> this has been done for the last 10 years in the UK, where they have something called a community interest company, which seeks to integrate the heart and the mind. In America, almost every state has what are called social benefit corporations, which again seek to recognize that there's um, mission and purpose over the profit. And in Canada, in Italy, there's multiple jurisdictions have adopted this. So at any point if somebody says we would be world leading if we adopted something, I just don't think that's true. What I see the potential as is that we could actually learn from what's been done for the last few years mm -hmm. in all these other jurisdictions and take the best bits from them, leave aside the worst bits, and then come with our own unique character of what social enterprise is here in New Zealand. Um, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but that's where we're headed. Um, so this one, um, what is happening? So are people familiar with Akina Foundation? So there's some nods, but some not nods. So um, Akina Foundation has been going for a number of years now, and they have actually received a contract from government to help promote social enterprise in New Zealand. So they have a lot of resources out there, and they put on lots of seminars and, and make materials available. And their purpose is to, is to say there is this way in the middle between um, charity and business. So they're based in Wellington, but there's people here in Auckland and in Christchurch and in Tauranga and all over the country. I think they're up to about 16 or so staff now. So um, they're doing a lot of work in this area. So the reason I mention them is that a year ago now, um, they helped to put on the Social Enterprise World Forum in Christchurch. And this um, wasn't just a small gathering of 50 or 60 people there was 1,600 people who attended this conference. And it ran for a number of days, um, and I got, a, I got to go along and talk about legal structures with a panel of others. And uh, the point is that it wasn't just a small little group, it was a lot of people. The year before it had been held in Hong Kong, and this year it was held in Scotland. So it actually put New Zealand on the map in terms of the worldwide sort of knowledge of social enterprise because everybody in the social enterprise world was focused on Christchurch. And obviously with the story of the earthquakes and everything that had gone on and recovery and things, that was a big part of it. And I think about 800 people had come in from overseas to attend, and about 800 were from New Zealand. So in terms of what's happening, I think it's just important to be aware. Did anybody attend that from this room? Yeah, two, three, so there's about five five or six of us were there. So, um, and I don't know about those who attended, but it was quite an interesting environment. Um, it, was, it was kind of getting all these people together. Uh, it wasn't a typical conference. A typical conference, the person stands up and says, here's our agenda, number one, two, three, you know, it's very ordered and logical. And in this conference, they stood up and it started with a waiata sung by some children in Maori. And it was like this recognition that there's something else going on here. This isn't just a normal thing. We've gathered here, we're talking about purpose. We're talking about the future generations. So it was not a typical business conference. So, but thinking about what's happening, that was for social enterprise, that was quite a landmark thing that occurred in New Zealand. Um, and then the, the Scottish, the one that was held in Scotland, did anybody get to go to that one? I was not there. Yeah, you attended, great. So that was held um, in October, I think, or September. So it was a couple, uh, now a couple months ago. But that again gathered people together to talk about social enterprise. And again, it's, in New Zealand, it's kind of a relatively new term. But overseas, it's been around for a fair while. Um, I interviewed a guy um, who's from the Harvard Business School. And they set up their social enterprise school within Harvard Business School back in the 1990s. So um, in a way, it, it, here we kind of think this is brand new, but it's actually been around for a while. Um, and then in Wellington in October, um, there was another event that Akina Foundation was uh, put on. So there was about 250 people who came together and uh, talked uh, 
uh, for a day at the Wellington Zoo, which is an interesting venue because monkeys are very noisy. <laughs> <laughs> so lots of the talks kept getting interrupted by these um, strange animal sounds. Um, but I wonder what the monkeys said about the people. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder, yeah. Um, so that was, that's a little bit about what's happening um, in terms of some events that have happened recently. And, so and then the next generation point. So I work a lot with um, startups and with entrepreneurs. And what I'm seeing is that many of them are coming through with these ideas, not just about making profit, setting up a business model that will make them wealthy, become the next Mark Zuckerberg. They're actually coming through with these ideas of, actually, I want to give back to my community. I want to address a social or environmental or cultural or some other need. Um, and so it's quite a shift in the generations that I think for, for my generation, and probably those above me, we kind of, maybe there was a sense of Wall Street and the sort of greed is good ideas of the 1980s, you know, how much money can I make, the, the focus on the individual and some of the, the new thinking I'm seeing, and in lots of the incubators as well, like Ice House and, and others, people are coming out with these ideas of actually I want to do something to advance an environmental or social need, which is a really positive thing, I think. Um, so that's sort of what's happening um, now that, that I'm seeing in New Zealand. Um, just, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but just in terms of the structure options, just so we touched on it. I mentioned before that there's no legal definition in New Zealand for social enterprise. So you can actually, um, yeah, th this is something we can talk about. You can call yourself a social enterprise whatever your legal structure. So this is actually quite a big problem, <laughs> potentially, if people start adopting social enterprise and we get social enterprise Coca-Cola, for example, or um, <laughs> other, other things that maybe would dilute the branding of what a social enterprise is. Um, but the structure options, basically, <coughs> what I was talking about, the company is definitely a, a great option for a social enterprise because it's about generating a sustainable revenue stream so that the company can continue. Why does it continue? Because it has a mission, and, it, and part of its mission is to address some social or environmental need. Um, but the reason I think it's important is that I don't believe that social enterprise excludes entrepreneurs from actually making money. I think it should be encouraged and if you can have a business model that actually gives back to the planet in some way and makes money, then I have no problem with that. And one of the problems I see is too many people um, sacrifice themselves thinking that they have to be a charity in order to do good. And therefore, they become, uh, in a way, a martyr to charity. Because the reality is that uh, the the two sides here. If you're a charity, you can't privately benefit. So um, I've seen, and I think you've probably seen as well, where you know any startup requires blood, sweat, and tears, whether it's a charity or, or for profit. And sometimes, um, in, in our experience, we've seen people choose to become a charity and devote 10 years of their life, and day and night, Saturday, Sundays, and at the end of 10 years, they're kind of burnt out. They're ready to move on to the next thing. They've gotten lots of community accolades and awards, many pats on the back. But ultimately, when they leave, they will only have ever been able to draw the market rate salaries, even if they've developed IP and things. It, it stays with the charity. Whereas the company structure, assuming that they do the blood, sweat, and tears, then there's actually still an option to sell their shares or to get investors or to sell the company. So that's why I kind of, t I like this sort of side of the table. And it's about rebalancing how we view businesses and changing the paradigm of what we've, what we've traditionally viewed them as. Because the new conception, I think, is that a business can actually give back while it's making profit. Mm. Um, so, but the point is, structure options, companies definitely, for social enterprise, it's a really strong alternative. 
and then the other option is um, the charitable trust option. So the, the, the reason why trusts are, or charities is a good option is that there are these positive assumptions made as soon as you say that you're a charity because you have to confine yourself to certain strict criteria to become a charity. So I won't go into all of it, but the, you know, there's four charitable heads and you have to tick the box that you fit within it and therefore you get a certain level of credibility that comes from that. Um, and that's really good. <laughs> but you can't really have investors in your charitable trust because you have no, no shares or equity that you can issue. So that's the downside. As opposed to a company, you can actually get external investment to come in. Um, and for any startup or you know, a new journey, one of the biggest things is getting money. <laughs> it's really hard to s have a startup without money. So the company structure allows you to potentially get investors in. And hopefully, um, if they believe in your mission as well, then, then that's good. So anyway, the point is the charitable trust structure. So what, what we really see here is that this side of the room, there's real positives and benefits of being a company because it's understood, you can get investors, um, you can return profits to the shareholders. You know, so that's all positive. But over that side, there's really positive things about the charitable structure as well and in terms of common public perception and um, and also tax benefits. <laughs> so there's reasons to go for that structure. So what sometimes happens, or often happens, is that you end up with the both model of a charitable trust that owns a company. Um, so we see that quite often. And sometimes the company is a charitable company as well, but sometimes it's not. Um, but that, to in my mind, see, that is actually addressing the very heart of the issue is if you have to have both, you've then got dual structures, there's more work involved in having two entities. The whole point that I would make is something that sat in the middle between a company and a trust would address a real need because often we end up with this dual structure in place. So some real life examples um, down in Christchurch. Uh, there's a group called Kilmarnock. Has anybody heard of them? So th they basically work with people um, who would have difficulty finding jobs um, due to disability, um, different types of disability. And so they um, have a charitable trust which then owns a company, <coughs> and the company employs the people. So if any of you have been on Air New Zealand recently <coughs> and you've had the headphones, they get the headphones and they replace the little foam wrappers around them. So, and also foodstuffs, they pack and repack chocolate and different food items. So these are jobs that can be done, they get paid a salary. So, and this is a really important thing. For a social enterprise, it may not be about the profits that get earned that go back to the purpose. It may be the very existence of the company itself, which is advancing some social purpose. So in this case, they are employing the very people that they want to help, who would maybe not have a job otherwise. So you have to look beyond just the metrics of how much profit was made when you're looking at social enterprise. There may be other ways that they're giving back, or, in, or yeah, they may make no profits, but be completely fulfilling their function. You know, for example, if there's a cafe that employs people who have Down syndrome, then that's fulfilling its purpose simply by being, um, rather than focusing just on how many profits it's made. Um, so that's just to be clear. Isn't, isn't there an open one that does this similar thing with as well? Probably. I don't know, but yeah, it would make sense if there is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, what we're seeing is, so that Kilmarnock, they employ 100 people. So I'm not talking just about one person with two staff. This is like a proper organization with multi, you know, there's a lot of funds going through that. Um, another one, just as an example, um, is Pathway. 
so they're also based out of Christchurch. I know Christchurch best, obviously, <laughs> but they, um, their purpose is to help people coming out of prison. So can you imagine coming out of prison? It's very difficult to get a job. So what they do is they have two companies. The first company helps to unload containers. So if you're moving, um, they would uh, be the ones who would unload the containers. And the second is they, they build seats. So not just seats like this, seats for stadiums. And, and then they sell those. So again, the very act of their employing the people is fulfilling their mission because they're giving these people their first jobs out of prison as they reintegrate back into society. And the profits go back into Pathway the Charitable Trust, which then educates you know, does different activities in the community. So that's a great, another great example of a social enterprise. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure some of you in this room have social enterprises as well. Um, so, but those are just some examples to give you a sense. And I'll talk about it later, but I've been doing a podcast recording people about their lives and their journeys. So I'm up to today was the 74th interview that I've done and the vast majority is with social enterprises, trying to go deeper with them about what they do and why, and unpacking their stories. Um, so the, uh, the paradigm shift that's going on, I think there is, like, more fundamentally than the words that we're using, I think we are seeing a shift in the conception of business and charity. And I think it's really exciting. Um, the term social enterprise, whether you like it or not. I actually have some misgivings about the term social enterprise, because in my mind, social kind of, it, well, for one, does it include environmental, if it's social? Um, what about you know, cultural impacts? So I've, I'm actually drifting now more towards the phrase like impact enterprise. I think impact is a, a, a more inclusive term. It, it's broader than just social. Um, but we'll see if it flies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm quite excited, though, that there is this sort of paradigm shift that's happening. Does anybody else notice this, or is it just me sitting in behind my computer screen? <laughs> Have you seen examples? Or? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. A lot of the work that we do is with commercial organizations. Okay. And uh, so then in the sustainability field, and, and there is also in that area um, big shifts. I mean, firstly, and it's really interesting that you use the word purpose there because the Institute of Directors new handbook, updated handbook, the four pillars, it has a chapter just on purpose right at the beginning. Right. So that's sort of seen as yeah. necessary to exercise your fiduciary duties properly to be aware of what the purpose yeah. of the company is. The company is beyond just making a profit, which of course is reinforced by. Some people may be aware of the letter from Larry Fink that's often yeah. referred to, the BlackRock, the biggest investment company in the world, saying companies need to have a social purpose. So with that, I think there's real evidence that it's, you know, that, that the confusion between social enterprise between, say, profit or non-profit or limited liability companies and trusts is likely to get quite blurred because mm. the other element is this idea of net positive businesses, mm. like socially and environmentally net positive. Um, which is also gaining a lot of traction. So I think you know, I share your concern that there's space for a lot of confusion as to exactly what the right model or structure might be used yeah. for a particular yeah. outcome or end. Yeah. Yeah, and in the moment right now, it feels a little bit confusing, but I take heart from it because I feel like in 20 years or 30 years, I'm hoping that we'll look back and realize that there was this paradigm shift occurring and things actually had moved so much or we're moving so much that we've, you know, we're progressing and entering into a new reality. And the Larry Fink letter is fascinating. That was in January, I think. And that fund, someone will know, but it's like a five trillion dollar fund, I think. It's, it's a lot of zeros. <laughs> um, and that was his message is, you need to care about more than just the profits. So, yeah, yeah thank you. Um, well, kind of touched on some of this, um, what the, might the future hold? Um, so one of the pieces of areas that I'm involved in, so I mentioned Akina Foundation, 
Um, they've been doing some research into social enterprises, and I've been involved in that research, um, helping from a legal point of view. Just, and the question is, would a new legal structure help to promote and encourage social enterprises, or are our existing structures all that we need? Are we good to go? Um, so that's what that's been looking into. So we have been working with a social anthropologist named Dr. Jane Horan, and she's interviewed 20 different social enterprises, all of the ones that you've probably heard of, um, and it's been fascinating to see the results coming back. <coughs> so we're now preparing a report. So watch this space. That will be out in probably late January or early February. <laughs> January is going to be a busy month, possibly trying to get it done. Um, but it, it will come out in the, in the new year. So um, that report is really focusing on what, where we are now and where we could go. Um, and, and where I'm coming back to is ultimately it's about mission and it's about the word purpose. And in some ways, I don't really care what structure the social enterprise is as long as the mission is placed as the key thing, as its mission over profit or other considerations. And I think that's the key element that needs to be there. And then everything else kind of flows from it in terms of what levels of reporting and how do you qualify and what do you need to put in your constitution. Um, I've been working with clients to develop a social enterprise constitution, um, which I think is getting more robust. Because traditionally, if you start a company, there's uh, sort of precedents that you use as a constitution. And many of you will have seen them or read them. And they're mainly about 40 pages long. So they're really, even for me, difficult to read. You know, they're, they're like very long, obscure document. So I've tried to shorten it down to 10 pages in a table format. And the key elements to it is Number one, it self-identifies as we are a social enterprise that cares about purpose, and that purpose is set out in clause two. Clause two is mission. Mission is whatever that organization wants to promote. Um, and so it's trying to anchor the mission early on in the document mm -hmm. so that people are forced to hang their hat on what the mission is of the social enterprise. And then moving down through the causes, there's one about reporting. So you're, you have to report on how you're doing in relation to the mission. And then there's a cause about transfers of shares. And one of the criteria is that the board can refuse to transfer shares if it's to someone that they don't believe uh, believes in the mission. So it's kind of trying to put mission front. And that's where I keep coming back to after having read a lot about the overseas model or models is make mission the key thing and then everything else kind of flows from that as long as the founders identify here's our clear mission then everything flows. So that's kind of where I'm heading to is we need to clearly state what the mission is and require people to report on how they're doing. Because ultimately, the key word here to make social enterprise a sector that's believable is transparency. Um, if you don't have transparency about how you're operating um, or accountability, then the whole sector would, will be impacted by, by one or two. So I think it's important to, to build those things in. So, Stephen, um, sorry, yes. More clear about, so now, between the purpose and mission, there's kind of one line up what's the purpose and what's the mission? Well, I, I kind of, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I usually push that to the client to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I try not to be too prescriptive about it. Um, I think they're probably pretty interchangeable, to be honest. Um, Is it about how, you know, why you do what you do and how you do what you do? Yeah, usually it's, the purpose is, you know, to, to reduce environmental damage to our coastlines. Like, that might be the purpose, and then the mission might expand on that with some more bullet points. Usually what I say actually is, think of a charity, where we generally have purposes, there'll be two or three bullet points right at the front, which are trying to tick the box of, of charitable purposes, and that forces the founders to think about, what actually are 
are we doing? And are we advancing education? Are we promoting religion? Are we reducing poverty? Or is it purpose beneficial to the community? Uh, those are the four heads of charity. So which, which one are we in? Um, so that's kind of how I try to help people. But I also try to say, just give me two bullet points. I really don't want 10 pages. <laughs> so it's helping people to be clear and communicate clearly what they stand for, which ultimately, hopefully, helps them and their trust board and everybody involved if you know what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. If you can't clearly communicate it. So what was the four traditional elements? So that's advancing education. Yes. And um, reduction of poverty. Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. advancing religion. And purpose is beneficial to the community. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Charity Services has a, a very comprehensive website where they talk about all of the different heads. And actually, they give examples of, of what they've accepted in the past. So typically, I would say to the client, you know, have a look there. Is there anything that fits the bill? Because mm -hmm. these, these words have been approved, so there's no need to read them. <coughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about it. So the new legal structure thing, like I've kind of over, as time goes by, my position changes a little bit. I think um, I'd like the discussion to happen about should we have a new legal structure? But ultimately, I think it will be really difficult to push through. So I want to be pragmatic and realistic as well. And actually, the company structure works pretty well. But I think it could be tweaked to recognize something that's different, which sits here in the middle, which is saying, if you prioritize your mission over your profits, then that's sort of the, the criteria to, to tick the box that you're in this sort of impact enterprise um, type of entity. Yeah. So the shareholders of a social enterprise company expect a return on their investment or would they expect their return to be reinvested in the social good outcomes of the company? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that they would expect return on their investment or they should or could expect return. So would they they don't like have to have it. But they wouldn't have a, a purpose though of say a shareholder in a listed public company that's looking for the governance to maximize the return on their investment. That's exactly they have a more that's exactly the difference. Humble approach to what their expectation was in terms of a return. Exactly. Yeah, and that's about the branding and the communication to the market. Is it traditionally because if I came to you and you said, look, I'm a company, I need some investment you would then automatically assume that I would be trying to maximize my business to return as much profit as possible. So then how would you play that out in terms of, for example, income tax and how that might be applied to mm -hmm. a social company vis-a-vis -a, -vis a commercial company, mm -hmm. given that you know, taxation is, has a social objective anyway. Yeah. So for example, a commercial company, you charge market price, with a social company you might not, but then is that fair from a, is there a different rate of taxation to be applied or how does that work? Yeah, well that's a really easy question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean tax, tax is an incentive. Um, I, I, I feel like we're at the starting point of this discussion and that trying to introduce some some tax recognition would be too difficult um, for social enterprises, and I think, but I think it is worth the discussion. I just don't think it's going to fly right away. Stephen, can I? Yeah, please second that as well. Um, having uh, presented to the IRD last week, um, had a very interesting discussion mm -hmm. in Wellington with some of their policy people, actually, and this was one of the topics that came out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and their view is very much like Stephen's in terms of um, it would be extremely hard to design a equitable tax situation for something like this. Um, where they are coming down to at the moment in terms of some of the policy thinking is it's all around transparency. So if people can see what uh, an organisation is doing and what it chooses to do with its money, um, then they will support it or not. Uh, and it makes the tax incentive side of it less important. 
Um, having said all of that, we do have um, a tax working group at the moment which has released its interim paper uh, and its final paper is due out early next year. Um, that has a section on charities which also talks about social enterprise, uh, a couple of social enterprise aspects. Um, and we also have a review of the Charities Act 2005, currently yeah. underway, um, which is also, um, we're trying to make sure that social enterprise is <laughs> within the terms of reference. And I'm looking at Stephen here because both Stephen and I are on the uh, DIA Charity Services Sector User Advisory Group, that's our full name, and feeding into this. Um, so uh, there is a debate happening. Um, and then one other point that's possibly worthwhile there is um, my discussions, I know at least with the people at MIMBI, so the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, is yes, we understand this is possibly an issue, uh, but we've got a lot of other things on our plate at the moment and it's nowhere near priority. Um, so I think they will be kicking that can down the road, if I can use that cliche. Mm. For a little while. Yep. That's very really helpful. CIC's pay income tax in Britain. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. Same rate of understanding. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. But they have they have something called asset park. So oh, we no, haven't talked about asset park, but that's um, yeah. We can't go into everything. <laughs> asset park is where you actually entrench the ownership of your assets within the entity. So that's it's quite restrictive for a CIC. Yeah. So it, it makes it harder for the person selling out to yeah. to realize. No, Did you have a question or comment? Yeah, I think it's in this territory of values and expectations because I think we've seen earlier this year a company like Eat My Lunch mm -hmm. that's trying to do wholly good things mm -hmm. and society has come under levels of scrutiny that would be expected of a charity that's receiving donations and public money mm -hmm. and makes its accounts available in a very um, granular way. Typically, companies don't do that, and I think that there is there's clearly that coverage to me indicates an issue around using a company structure to run a charity because people do want to know yes. how much of their money went where, and and that's not as easy to track perhaps mm. in a company's accounts and its account of itself through its annual report. Yes. So I'd be very interested to hear what occurs in from your work because yeah. it, there is I think mm -hmm. a. My observation through that coverage was that this isn't sorted out in New Zealanders' minds yeah. um, how they want to see these social enterprises where Treated. they sit. The other point I'd make is that one of the advantages of the charitable, st charitable structure is mm. that you can attract philanthropic funding which is set up to fund charities. Yes. If your purpose is quite esoteric or something that can't attract any form of commercial revenue, mm -hmm. it's, a, it, it's a good avenue. Yeah, thank you for raising that. I completely agree. And I should have mentioned it earlier. Normally I would talk about that because the grant funding and the philanthropic funding, you're right. I've seen so many entities set up as businesses and then they realize, ooh, mm -hmm. we can't get anything from the larger you know, philanthropic groups. So I completely agree with you. And that's, but see, all, of, all that you just said, I agree, but it's symptomatic to me of this paradigm shift or this yeah. new way of thinking yeah, this, that, that there needs to be some recognition and change. And, and the, the point is that traditionally we have assumptions, like I said at the start, that business is here and this is what it does and charity is over there. Yeah. And we're kind of seeing a blurring and a moving towards something that, with that, that less, point there, you know, some sort of a moving into the middle, um, which, which I take real great heart from, and in, I think it's really encouraging, um, but what framework does that mean since our past framework had this different conception of you're either a charity or you're a business? So, so what will the insights mean at the World Forum mm -hmm. in terms of what other companies have done or the millions they've had that perhaps provide some pathways for us to think about. And no doubt they are being thought about. But what's the end source? Well, the, there's lots of, you mean from the participants? Yeah. yeah. I think the main thing that I got from the World Forum was that, I'm not going to answer your question right away, 
but bear with me. <laughs> the main thing that I got that people from overseas who came to New Zealand said, you have something really distinctive and unique here in New Zealand because you're doing something a little bit different. And, and I haven't touched on this yet, but I'm really glad that I'm going to, which is Te Ao Māori and the Māori perspective on the world. And they, what they said, so that the Scotland, England, Canada, U.S., they said, actually, what, what you have the potential to do here um, is to embrace this cultural tradition, which is right at your step, you know, right at your door, and to bring it into the fold of what you want to do with social enterprise. So that was something that came through really clearly to me um, when I was talking with people. Um, and that's something that um, actually Wayne from RSM and I wrote an article about what can social enterprises learn from Maritana because I think there's a huge wealth there that, that would definitely be um, there's lots of resources. Um, but in answer to your question, I'm not aware that anybody said here's the top five things to, to do or not to do. So it's been, from my experience, it's just been us kind of reading the constitutions that they use to set up a CIC and talking with people in Canada and Scotland and trying to learn from them, um, which, yeah, which is not as easy as somebody yeah. saying, here's the, I don't know of any manual. There's a really good book, though, that came out last year. I've got a copy if anybody wants to see it. It's called Social Enterprise Law. Um, so maybe it's just interesting to me as a lawyer. <laughs> it's possible. Um, Social enterprise law. Oh, legal law. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that one came out last year, and it's written by a Brooklyn University law professor, and she's uh, and somebody else, and they talk there. They they do an overview of all the structures available in America. Canada, I think, as well, and then they come up with their own solution for, we've had the first generation of what's been available, now we need to move to the second generation, and here's the ideal ingredients, which is really encouraging for me, because what I'm saying is, let's forget about the first generation that didn't work so well, let's jump straight to the second generation and be a world leader, adopting, bringing in our cultural heritage at the same time and learning from what everybody else has done. So yeah, it's a, it's a good book. Um, it's, yeah, it's easy to read. Yeah, you have a comment? In your discussions today, have you been aware of people talking about the international social enterprise mark as a mechanism for the kind of accountability and transparency you're discussing? Yeah, it's a good question. So a mark or a certification? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I haven't come across the international social enterprise mark. I've had people reach out to me from the UK where they, I think they have a mark. Yes, and I, I know they're, they're making it available internationally. Right. I think that's what I mean. Yeah. But the, when I look at it, it looks like a very useful tool mm -hmm. to achieve a lot of what you're talking about without yeah. necessarily having to entrench it in legal structures. Yeah. <laughs> it may very well be, yeah. And that will, that's something that we are looking at for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because it kind of relates to another phrase that some of you may or may not have heard of, which is B Corp, if people come across that term. So it stands for Benefit Corporation, and that's similar. It's an accreditation that you can get. And basically, it's actually really fascinating. If you have a, it takes a couple hours, but there's about 200 questions that you go through, and you get a number at the end. And if you get more than 80 points, you can become a B Corp. Um, but, but you can't if you're a charity. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's for profit entities. Yeah. yeah, which is this mindset. It's kind of the opposite of. It's like the reverse. Like charities aren't able to qualify. You're right. So in New Zealand, I think there's about 20 entities. Because charities are probably fulfilled by charitable ways. Yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah, I one of my friends is Tim Jones, so he's been promoting B Corp. He has his own consulting business, which is a B Corp, and he's now employed by Kilmarnock as one of their marketing people. So he's been talking with the B Corp people, saying this is ridiculous. We're a trading business, employing a hundred people. Not only people who wouldn't have jobs, we're also reducing landfill by diverting 
all this recycling and stuff. So, yeah, it's a good point. But the thing I really want is something simple that people can adopt or opt into and not have it be too complicated and not have it be too rigorous in turn. It has to be rigorous, but not too, um, too prescriptive about what you have to do. It's a, it's a delicate balancing act. And if you get nothing else from today, you'll realize how complicated this is. It's, mm -hmm. There's no easy solution. Mm -hmm. Somebody I else said it come up. I yes. was just going to say, um, I gather too that the course by extraction is very US focused. So mm -hmm. if you don't have a private health insurance paying for your employees, <coughs> you're automatically losing points on that. Right. Um, whereas in New Zealand, we have a public health system. Yeah. And it did originate in the US, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I'm not sure of the detail of how many points. What was that, sorry? Is that the one Derek Handy went to set up? I'll be 10. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Just another thing on the legal structure. I honestly think it would actually improve the ability for large corporations to actually invest in the A good example like Google has their whole Google nonprofits, where they give for nonprofits, they get their own G Suite accounts, they get advertising um, on YouTube free, they get a donation button. But the only reason why they wouldn't go to the next thing is because how do they identify right. that you are a social um, company? So I think where you've got companies that are really large and want to invest in these CSIs and stuff like that, they want you to put it down further down, yeah. they can't. If there's no legal structure for you to actually say, this is actually something you're putting into. Yes. Uh, I think it's the advantage is going to be very, very hard. Yeah. I agree with you. And I think the key is it comes back to the mission and the purpose. Are they committed to it? And then that sets up social enterprise as a brand that people can believe in and that it actually stands for something. Whereas right now it's kind of this, well, I'm a social enterprise. I just set up a whatever. It's not, yeah, not the bigger. More observational than anything. I mean, as, a, as an angel investor and a business owner and advisor to the non-profit sector, the big thing I think now is that we're starting to see is missing to social enterprises. We're focused on the entities, and we're not actually focused on the end customer who's paying for a value and a service. And I think that's something that's missing throughout all of the conversations. Right. In the same way that when you talk to a value in buying a lunch because you're also solving mm -hmm. a problem which is actually feeding, some, feeding someone. So that's where individuals are the consumer. You almost have, you've got business B2B, you've got uh, whatever it is, B2C, you've almost now got C2C which is charity to consumer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's missing in the whole conversation around social. We're all, let's go and set up a social enterprise but you still have to be part of, have you actually got something of value that someone else is going to buy. I agree. Yep. You can't just have a great business model that works in a vacuum. <laughs> what is the actual need that you're addressing? And it, last week I interviewed Louise Aitken, who's the head of Akina Foundation. Um, for the, and, and she was saying exactly that is, you know, don't just go set up something, actually do the research and make sure that you're addressing a real need, if that's what you want to do. You know, um, so just turning to some common pitfalls, I just thought it'd be helpful to run through a couple. Um, so the, the first one is, I've used the word vision there, this will get confusing because I used the word mission before, but <laughs> what is the vision for the entity, the social enterprise? Um, I think it's surprising how often once you push, people aren't very clear about what they actually want to achieve. Um, so I think for all of us, I'm sure each of you are involved in some way in a charity or a social enterprise or a not-for-profit, and actually questioning, what are we here for? You know, It's good to ask those questions. Um, the, the other thing is the structure comes back to the point I was making. Getting the structure right at the start is a good thing. <laughs> so if, if you know that um, 
that, and it's surprising how often this comes up. My question to the, a new client is usually, okay, in five years or in 10 years, where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? And then you kind of work back from there to work out, okay, the charitable structure is best or the company structure or a hybrid structure or something else. Um, and the social washing is, is kind of, we've discussed that already, but it's this, um, you know, greenwashing was when people claimed that a product was good for the environment. And so social washing is claiming that what you're doing is good in some social way and that dilutes the whole value of social <coughs> enterprise. Um, the other thing that's interesting to me, like some of you are from charities, I think, right? You've come here tonight. And so just thinking through for you, for yourselves, what does social enterprise mean in your context? Because the paradigm shift that I'm talking about, I think involves a new way of thinking about your income streams and where you've gotten your sources of funding. So maybe you've traditionally relied on philanthropic grants or gifts or donations. And social enterprise presents itself as an opportunity for you to consider, actually, we as a trust or a charity have these purposes. We could actually achieve some of these purposes through business itself. Um, and the example, look it up, like I'm not making this stuff up, Kilmarnock and Pathway, the businesses that they own and operate fulfill their charitable purposes. Mm -hmm. So I just leave it as a challenge for some of you who are from charities. Start maybe thinking through challenging your own boards and yourselves. Is there some way that we could actually start looking at this and have a self-sustaining business that actually meets our purposes? So it seems to me if you start to look at that blurring of the lines, isn't yeah. really the main difference here? One the restrictions of the legislation that you found your organization under, mm -hmm. whether it's charities or corporate uh, companies, and then really your funding model, whether you you know, want to access philanthropic funding or whether you want to be able to raise capital through issuing shares. Is that, does it come down to, us kind of, at the moment at least, without any new legislation, simple mm. and tax, yeah, and tax creation. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, Sorry to leave you with the uncertainty, but that's the case right now, is that it is uncertain. And that's what I'm hoping can be clarified in the coming months and years. Um, but what I, I guess what I take heart from, again, is that at least we're having this conversation. And what I hope is that in 10 or 20 years, we're sitting around having a glass of wine saying, remember when we used to use that term social enterprise? That was an intermediate stage, wasn't it? because we've moved beyond social enterprise to this new conception where, where business does value its mission and its purpose in ways that it doesn't today. And I think that's probably the point, and I didn't perhaps phrase my question very well in that sense, but isn't, if that's happening anyway, do we need the confusion of an undefined term like social enterprise if in fact companies are saying that they need to be more responsible and accountable environmentally and socially yep. if their license to operate is to be maintained. And charities also need to recognise that possibly some of their problems can be solved better with business models rather than yep. I mean, do we well, need the... Well, but see, I think the conversation happens when we have this interaction about the, the term social enterprise. So for me, it's something to hang our hat on for right now. But I absolutely hope that we can get rid of the term because we've actually moved beyond this discussion about what lies in the middle and that my children will stand up here one day and say, I remember when my dad talked about social <laughs> enterprise. We, you know, we're so far beyond it that um, we've actually moved into this middle space where there is a more of a blurring. And the, the danger I see is that social enterprise becomes ring-fenced as, well, that's what they do. And that, that right now it's an orphan. The charities don't really like it because they're kind of stealing the cut of the charities, but the businesses don't really like it because they're kind of stealing the way business runs. So this kind of cut in the middle of not being a charity, not being a business, something that lies in between. And But what I hope is that the conversation will get deeper and that we will start questioning the very principles of business, which is the paradigm shift that I'm talking about. You know, this is big stuff. This is 
you know, this is capitalism. You know, this is like this well, is all the isms. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's big, way bigger than just the, the term social enterprise. Because some of you could have thrown back at me, and I would have accepted. But you know, we've had op shops for decades. Surely that's a social enterprise, and I would agree because they are trading to further a purpose. Um, but what we're getting at see, is something that's really even more fundamental, in my view, is that it's a move beyond terms, if you like, to something, hopefully, that is new. And my dream is that here in New Zealand, we could actually learn from what's done overseas and come up with something that is actually really different, embracing the Te Ao Māori as a unique ingredient in our own middle ground. So that's my feeling or hope. <laughs> so I want to wrap up in a minute, but you might say yeah. one more thing in there. It sort of strikes me that we're using the term social enterprise, and I wonder if it's because we're actually talking about social license. Social license of organizations yeah. to do what they do, whether they be charities or whether yeah. they be businesses, and then just to belabor the social, you know, is this so much more of an issue because of social media? Yeah. in terms of it's democratized people's ability to complain or share, mm -hmm. overshare, um, about mm -hmm. anything and everything. So I just want to leave you with some resources, because some of you, like I said, some of you have come not knowing a huge amount about social enterprise. I just encourage you to keep exploring it. Um, this, so this, I've left on your seats, hopefully there's a little brochure thing that looks like oh, that. Yes. So um, basically I'm doing a podcast, so every Tuesday morning I put out a new interview with someone who I think is doing inspiring or unique things in our ecosystem. Um, so there's 74 interviews now, I've been doing it the last year, and it's with charities, not-for-profits, social enterprises, entrepreneurs, real variety. So I interviewed Michael Mayle who founded Cookie Time, so he's an entrepreneur but he's now also founded something called the Nutrient Rescue. You know, like it's very Ooh. different to cookies. He's do, it's focused on health. And um, this week, today, I just released one on um, Dr. Mike Dickinson, who's the Wikipedian at large, traveling around the country promoting Wikipedia. And he has his PhD in giant flightless birds. So we talk about how he studied that for eight years. So it's really, so I basically choose people I think are interesting. Um, so today I interviewed Julie from Kids Can about her Hello. life and what they do. Yes. And I interviewed Matthew Goldsworthy um, from Youth Arts New Zealand, who's sitting right here. And um, just trying to get a real variety of stories that are told. And the reason I'm kind of, you know, it is self-promotion here, but I literally spend three or four hours a week preparing these interviews, editing them, getting them out. So I've realized I need to start being open with people and saying, I actually think this is good stuff. Would you become unofficial ambassadors to help spread mm -hmm. good stories? So that's the reason I'm making this pitch, um, is that I, I only know so many people. The rest of you know many people. Um, so there's the usual Facebook page and website and all that. Um, but How yeah. long is each one? Well, it's a good question. I try to go for about 50 minutes. Because my aim is to, in current culture, we want 30 second sound bites. Yes. And so what I'm actually trying to do is go deeper with people. Yeah. And um, Matthew will say, I try to go into like, where are you from? What was your mother like? What was your childhood like? Oh, you mentioned you played the piano. Why do you enjoy music? You know, try to get behind the scenes oh, of people yeah. and then address sort of what they're doing now. And then these are some other resources. Um, feel free to drop me an email. I'll send you back a PDF of the book, um, which is about 100 pages on <coughs> structures. And we, Perry Field is the law firm that I work for in Christchurch, but I do work with people throughout the country. So I've got clients up here in Auckland and um, all over. Um, so there's lots of free resources at the Change for Good website. And then Akina Foundation have lots of um, resources and then I've been trying to communicate some of these concepts with um, articles at um, spinoff and other publications. So one of them is printed out, I think, which is um, talking about the state of the social enterprise sector. Um, but there's quite a few more, and then the podcast. So um, that was 
really all that I wanted to cover. I really appreciate your time and coming out and um, listening. Hopefully, hopefully you disagreed with something because it's not just good if everybody's nodding their heads, but maybe it's challenged some thoughts and um, yeah, whether you're a social enterprise thinking about your future or a charity thinking about should we get into this, um, I, I hope I've offered you something to consider. Anyway. So I just want to say thanks to RSM for the opportunity to come up and, and talk and happy to correspond by email um, with any of you as well. So um, thank you very much. Well, I hope that session was helpful for some of you who are looking at social enterprise and thinking about the different structures that might be available. If you enjoyed it, then consider checking out some of the earlier interviews and other bonuses that I've done in the past, because I'm really trying to resource the social enterprise sector in New Zealand with a variety of stories. There's also a Facebook page, and if you can leave a rating and review in the podcast app, particularly Apple Podcasts, then that helps other people to find it. Until next time. Mm -hmm.